We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Amber Hikes. They, she, is a social justice advocate, community organizer, TED Talk speaker, and unapologetically queer and Black. As the ACLU's, which is American Civil Liberties Union, first equity and inclusion officer, they provide vision leadership, and direction for the ACLU's nationwide strategy to support EDIB, which is equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging across all aspects of the organization's work in effort to seek justice. What I appreciate most about you, Amber, is your radiant energy. You challenge us while encouraging us. When I connect with you and your work, my agency and role as an accomplice is ignited and on fire. So light us up and welcome to ROG, Amber. What a greeting. All right. Shit, I'm pumped up. I'm pumped up right now. <laughs> Thank you so Me much. Too. For that. I've been looking forward to this ever since we booked it. Insane, Cannot insane. wait to explore this. Thank you again for being here. Absolutely. I really appreciate the invitation and really excited to get into our conversation. Me too. So how about we start with a little bit of your background? Oh, sure. No, absolutely. Uh, so let's see. You, you gave a, a fantastic introduction. You know, I'll, I'll just put a finer point on by saying that I'm, a, I'm an advocate, I'm an organizer, I'm a person that is inspired by and fueled by and steered by my community. And I, and, and that's who I am now, but I am a, a child of the American South. I uh, spent my formative years in Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm also a military kid. So I bounced all over the place in, in my early years on this planet. I uh, was born in Japan, <laughs> Okinawa, Japan to be exact, um, and also lived in Hawaii and uh, spent some time in Turkey with my dad. My dad was there um, and uh, Delaware and uh, settled in Atlanta and have really been, and families from Florida, really been all over, um, but spent most of my time in Atlanta and I'm really grateful for that time because I was raised by a mother who was really deeply committed to me knowing about my history um, and the history of my people and communities, um, specifically around civil rights, and really instilled in me this, this concept that it is incumbent on all of us to take care of our communities and specifically to take care of folks who are more marginalized um, or um, who have more um, marginalized identities than we do. And so I really feel like that was a foundation for the work that I do now. Let's see, beyond that, I am based in Philadelphia and New York. I've got two loving but somewhat obnoxious cats that live with, <laughs> live with me. Um, and I am currently, as you already mentioned, the Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer at the ACLU. So spend my days hanging out with some incredible advocates for social justice and civil liberties. We're really trying to do the good, the good, good work for our country and to make sure that we are holding up America's uh, values and ideals. So that's a little bit about me. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Man, you have lived in a lot of amazing places. And I love the example of how you were brought up to really appreciate and understand history and what each of our roles are in what happens next. 
So thank you for that. And then your work in Philadelphia previous to ACLU when you were the executive director at the Philadelphia Mayor's Office of LGBTQ Affairs, that was a really important role. And you have made very notable contributions in the areas of homelessness and prison reform and police departments. And of course, the flag, the LGBTQ flag. So could you just tell us a little bit about (laughs) the things that you were able to witness and accomplish in your executive director role? Absolutely. And that role was just a transformational role. I can talk a little bit about what brought me to to that position, you know, but I'll, but I'll say before I got to that position, I was, um, the vast majority of my experience had really been, again, like as an advocate, as an organizer, kind of beating on the doors of city hall on the other side. And so this was the first opportunity to be in the house and to affect change on the other side of, of that door. And to really, in the way that I wanted to do it, do it in partnership with some of those organizers, some of those activists that were in my community um, you know, before I got, I got into City Hall. So like you mentioned, Shannon, I was really grateful and honored to be able to push forward policy to impact and change the lives of LGBTQ folks that were experiencing homelessness, trans and non-binary folks who were incarcerated, who were experiencing police interactions that were frankly, transphobic, homophobic, right? We were able to shift policy there and also even uplifting the experiences of LGBTQ youth, um, young folks who were in foster care, right, who had been kicked out of their their homes when they came out and then experienced either homelessness or were also in foster um, in foster homes. And sometimes, I mean, you can imagine this, they would, they would end up in the foster care system and then experience the same kind of homophobia and transphobia in the foster home that they experienced in their homes of origin. And so we saw this cycle, right? You, you end up in a few more homes, experience that kind of violence, and then eventually say, you know what? I'll just figure it out on my own. And so that's when we saw this kind of cycle of homelessness and poverty with our young folks. And so my, my background is in social work. And so I kind of brought that lens to seeing how we could disrupt that cycle and really, frankly, recruit more LGBTQ foster parents to be welcoming homes for some of these young folks. So that's I'm, I'm mentioning some of that other work that didn't get elevated as much as the flag, <laughs> which, of course, became this, you know, helped prompt this international conversation and became this international symbol of intersectionality within the LGBTQ community, but we did some really important work and also got some important policy pushed through city council that um, impacted a lot of these communities. So it's, um, I'm on the national level now, but I'm always, wherever I am, pushing the importance of that local work, that work that really changes everyday people's lives. I mean, I spend a lot of time in jails, in prisons, talking to police officers, like truly on the phone trying to get people out of jail, get people out of police custody because they were experiencing the the harms of these systems. So really trying to to impact everyday folks' lives. Um, So it was really important work, but I'm not going to lie to you. It was deeply emotionally taxing work um, because you see the the faces of these people every day. You're picking up the phone. You're talking to them about their their experiences. It's just um, intensely personal, personal work. Um, And so, so much love for the folks that do local government work, um, that do community work in our nonprofits, all of that. But I'll, you know, if I'm honest with you, it's, it's work that if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to burn out really quickly, really quickly on. So, um, so that's a little bit of of what it looks like. Yeah. And the, the understanding of the racism that exists, even within the community and the challenges that you confronted when you tried to educate and inform and then take a really inclusive stand like 
changing the flag. And so I really appreciate your willingness to be courageous, knowing that there's consequences to some of the ways in which we behave like allies, which I'd really like to hear you talk about more because I've, I've heard you use the word accomplice before, like intersectional accomplices is what we're seeking to really um, change the landscape of equity, inclusion, belonging. So talk to me about what it means to be an accomplice. Yeah, this I love this question. And you're absolutely right. I, I think it's important to make this distinction. I think folks are really, really familiar with the idea of allyship, especially after the, um, the uprising, the kind of reckoning that we had in the summer of 2020. So let me see if I can give some parallels, right? If allyship, and folks know about allyship, and then you think about allyship as like solidarity and standing shoulder to shoulder with. So if allyship is about solidarity, accompliceship is about leveraging your privilege, like kind of weaponizing your own power, putting your body on the line, right? Accompliceship is saying that I'm not just here to cheer you on, I'm here to fight with you like it's my own fight. And accomplices believe in their bones that their comfort is less important than someone else's liberation, right? Their comfort is less important than someone else's liberation. And then, and this is the most important part, they act on that belief, right? I say all the time when I'm talking about allyship and accompliceship, you're not an ally or an accomplice because you say so. You're an ally and accomplice because you do so, right? It's about, this is a verb, right? It's about action. It's about action. So, and I think it's important for us to have the conversation because in this time in our country, in our world's history, we are being, we're being called to do more for each other, to stand up, to show up, to speak up. And the allyship and accompliceship piece is important because it's not the responsibility of marginalized folks to fight the systems and injustices that target them. That doesn't make any sense, right? It's our responsibility to fight for one another. And so we're having this conversation, Shannon, during a time where we are looking at the Supreme Court likely overturn Roe. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take the conversation too much in, in, in that direction because at, at the ACLU, it's truly all we're talking about. And we're looking at 50 years of history that's, that's, being, um, that's being overturned here. But even if we're looking at that issue or we're looking at the issue of racial justice or we're looking at the issue of LGBTQ equality or immigrants' rights, or we can go on and on and on. It is our responsibility to fight for one another. We have got to. And so when I think about what's going on with Roe, it's certainly like we know this is going to target the most marginalized folks. It's going to target women who are in poverty. It's going to target um, black and brown women for t- particularly. So we definitely need white women in this fight. But we need men on the front lines in this fight. When we're talking about LGBTQ equality, we need straight folks as allies and accomplices, right? Especially if we're looking at p- potentially rolling back um, LGBTQ rolling back marriage equality, right? Which I can't even believe we're having this conversation. We need, when we're talking about immigrants' rights, we need folks with citizenship privilege, like, like myself, folks who are American citizens, to be fighting for the rights of immigrants. It has got to be that kind of allyship. We have to be lifting up each other, right? While we, while we climb. And so you can tell that I get very, very, very passionate, passionate about this because The way that oppression works, right? The way discrimination works is that it beats us down, it like from the inside, and it makes it harder for those who are experiencing that oppression 
to continue to fight these systems. And that's why we need to be able to hand that baton to someone who's not directly experiencing that oppression in the way that we are. And we need to be able to say, okay, you got to run this leg of the race, right? And we need to be able to trust these folks shoulder to shoulder to us to be able to step up and say, you know what? I, I got it. I got it from here on out. So, so, and, and that's what kind of accomplishment and allyship um, look like. And I can give some more specific examples about what allyship and accomplishment look like in practice, but um, it's a really important distinction. But frankly, we need, we need all of it. Allies, accomplices, whoever you are, we need all of it right now. When we come back, Amber will share about the profound importance of belonging at work. Hello, I'm Joe Panfield, President and CEO of the T. Howard Foundation. We fulfill our mission to increase diversity in the media industry by offering college students paid internships with major media companies. As a result of their internship experience, nearly 200 of our interns are hired every year in communications, marketing, and even on-air talent. For more information about our program, visit t-howard.org. And we're back with ACLU's Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer, Amber Hikes. Yes, we don't need people just turning a blind That's eye right. and saying, you know what, this is not my problem. Right. Because it's that if it's happening to one of us, it's happening to all of Correct. us. And I think that inclusive lens on what does it mean to be a member of the community called the human race and not just the community with whom I identify exactly most. Right. So I think that's another shift in perspective of like widening that lens. Um, and that that is what I think inclusion means, right? It's the definition of who's we, yes. who's, <laughs> who's us. Who's us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to go back to climb and lift. But before we um, get away too far from the topic of being an accomplice and being an ally, I want to think about the workplace mm-hmm. because many of our listeners are leaders in organizations who really challenge themselves to be more generous leaders. And by that, we mean specifically being inclusive and investing in people and this whole lifting and climbing together. So I wonder how individuals in the workplace could be more intentionally inclusive of and be accomplices for their LGBTQ plus colleagues. Oh my gosh. This is, <laughs> I, so first I'll say, I talk about this all day and every day at my, you know, at my full-time job, obviously the ACLU, but I talk to, to companies and organizations about this. Um, in, in, I, I would also say educational spaces, like academic institutions all the time, because this is so important, right? If you think about it, we spend the vast majority as adults, right? Of our, of our kind of like awake hours, at the workplace. So I get really passionate about this because if you don't feel like you belong, if you don't feel like you're included, if you don't feel like your voice matters at work, then you are spending the vast majority of your waking hours in a place where you you just, you don't feel like you belong. You don't feel like, and, and so many of us, I'll say specifically for LGBTQ people, we have had experiences in our lives where perhaps we have felt like we don't belong in our homes. We don't belong in our places of faith. We don't, be, right? We don't belong with our families, with friends, right? And sometimes at school, um, when we were, when we we're coming up through the education system. So work is such a powerful place because it can be the first place where we feel like 
I belong here. They care about me here. I can be my full self here. And so I say all the time, getting it right at work really matters. It really matters. And this is a space where, yes, again, our LGBTQ accomplices and allies can really make a difference for folks. And so I've got so many tips, right? <laughs> but I'm going to be mindful of our time because I can't, you know, I'll sit here and talk with you all day about this, Shannon. But the first, I think the first thing that I would tell folks who are really saying, you know, I, you know, I'm a straight ally, I'm a straight complice, or even I will say like, there's, uh, I will say is um, LGBTQ folks, right? If you're not a trans or non-binary person, there's allyship that those of us who are in the community can do for those who are even more marginalized within our community because we can all recognize that transphobia is, is, is very serious and deeply impacts our trans and non-binary folks. So there's, there's work for all of us to do. I make sure the folk knows that, know that all the time when I talk. The first thing that I want people to think about is that before we start kind of changing those systems and looking out there, we got to clean our house first. And so this is so important. When I, What do I mean when I say that? When people start focusing on allyship and accomplishment, one of the first things I see them do is they look around their workplace or even beyond that, their friend circle or their softball team, right? And they say, you know, this place is really white or straight or male or something that looks like more homogeneous than they like. And then they start these recruiting campaigns and they set goals around diversifying. And I appreciate that drive. I appreciate that desire, especially when I see it in companies and organizations. But I encourage people to clean your house first before you invite people over, okay? Clean your house first before you invite people over. And I mean, ask yourself, Right? You understand where I'm going with this, right, Shannon? <laughs> Clean your house. Don't be inviting people over to a dirty house. Clean your house or you invite people over. And I want you to look and say, is this a place that's actually inclusive? Not just welcoming, because welcoming is important. Like, come on in here. And you get here and it's dirty and it's a mess and I'm experiencing yes. harm or microaggressions, right? Or I'm being invisibilized or tokenized, right? So come on in and then... I have this experience where I don't belong, right? So you gotta clean your house first and make sure this is a space where racism, where homophobia, where transphobia, where xenophobia, ableism, right, misogyny, where they're gonna be challenged directly and quickly and effectively. You don't have to be perfect, my friends, but you have to be doing that kind of self-interrogation, right? Making sure that you're creating spaces where the people you're inviting into them are not going to experience harm. Because if you don't do that work first, Shannon, you're going to be inviting folks in and it's just going to be a revolving door, right? Especially when we're talking about workplaces, you bring them in, it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to bring in all these LGBTQ folks, right? Or we're going to make sure we have more trans people in our, in, in our pipeline, or we're going to make sure that we have more folks of color. It's going to become a revolving door, my friend. Yeah. They're going to come right back in and be like, oh, oh, no, no, y'all aren't ready. Y'all aren't ready because this is happening or that is happening. And they're going to go right back out. So I need you to do some of that self-interrogation first so that all those recruiting campaigns you're doing, all those, you know, the ads you're doing, whatever kind of work you're doing in your HR office or what have you, it's actually going to stick. It's actually going to stick. So clean your house first before you invite people over. That, that's the first thing. Oh, yeah. right? And I've got, I've, 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 got, I've got a lot more. I think I would tell folks, the, the other thing I would tell folks yeah. is one of the ways that we can do that is really engaging in like upstander intervention. Some people hear it as bystander intervention. But it's also, this is about culture change. It's about recognizing when some of those microaggressions happen or when we see policies that um, inequitably impact 
other like marginalized communities, we name that. We stand up, and this is again, hugely important for allies and accomplices. We say, hey, you, you know what? This policy is having a disparate impact on my LGBTQ colleagues, right? Or we stand up and we say, hey, I heard you misgender that that trans person. Or we say, hey, I'm recognizing that our health benefits don't have, they're not, they're not equitable, right? We don't have health benefits that are really going to enhance and improve the lives of LGBTQ families and the way they do for non-LGBTQ families, right? So it's recognizing where we have inequity in our policies, right? Or even in our culture and being willing to stand up and, and say that, right? And sometimes, again, this goes back to the accomplishment, we have our LGBTQ colleagues who are kind of like banging on that door, but we need, right? We need more folks to help amplify that voice. So that upstander intervention is a really important component that can change the culture of an organization or a company and also help with your recruitment campaigns, right? And your retention um, and and all of that. Mm, so brilliant. And I've heard you describe something as restorative inclusion practices. Oh, yes, yes. Is that what you mean? Like to do restorative inclusion practices and anti-oppression training? Like, I think that's the level that we're at now because I do think, I, I deeply want to believe that companies that are going to take this seriously have already been taking this right. seriously. And I don't want to give up on those who aren't there yet, but I'm saying for those who have been engaging in this work and they've been talking about allyship and they've been doing their own personal work and then their own teamwork and their culture work, I think that there's a next step, which is around the how are we creating uh, opportunities to learn about how to be anti-oppression. Yes. Like you talked about microaggressions. Like what are those subtle acts of exclusion? One of the books I love around uh, what it means to be a member of this organization, but not feel like you really belong there oh yet. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you've been really doing some research now, <laughs> talking about my sort of inclusion practice. Now that's um, that and the anti-oppression training, these are some of the programs that we have at the ACLU, which really make sure that frankly, every day we're interrogating our own practices. So I talk at the ACLU about making sure that our insides match our outsides. And this is another way of talking about cleaning our own house, right? Because people know the American Civil Liberties Union of really like holding holding our government to account, right? We have a 101 year history of making sure that America is living up to her own values. And, you know, and, and so we feel, we, we consider ourselves the kind of the watchdogs of that. And so I see all the time, if we are going to be holding this mirror up to our country, right, at what point do we turn that in um, to ourselves? And so every day we're reflecting on our own practices and the ways that we show up for ourselves and for each other. And so this restorative inclusion practice is actually, it's a little deeper than, than what I was talking about um, earlier, Shannon. So the idea here is that you can do all these things that I'm talking about, right? You can do your upstander intervention. You can do your anti-oppression training, right? You can try to clean your own house and interrogate your own stuff. But we are going to get it wrong. Not if, when, when we get it wrong. We will all get it wrong. You, you, you've heard me throughout when I'm talking to you use different examples from different communities because I'm always talking about intersectionality. I'm always talking about allyship, the work that we all have to do, right? I hold a lot of marginalized identities and there are many things that I can do for marginalized communities that I am not a part of, right? I am black and queer and non-binary, right? But, it, and, but I'm 
I have a, I have all kinds of able-bodied privilege, right? I have citizenship privilege. I have education privilege, right? I have class privilege now. I didn't have it before. I have it. I have it now. There's a lot of spaces where I can use that privilege to show up for other folks. So I am going to get things wrong. Sometimes I am not going to be the best ally for those other communities. And so what can we do? How do we respond when we get it wrong? And that's what restorative inclusion is about. It's about people know people know about um, all kinds of restorative practices in the criminal justice system, right? This idea is that when we impact somebody's experience of inclusion, their belonging in the organization, what can we do to restore that experience? Whether that's through having an accountable apology, whether it's having like almost like a mediated session. Now, you kind of think about, again, social worker, like counseling, sitting down and saying, hey, this thing that happened in this staff meeting, right? This thing that happened in this training, like it impacted me in this way. And I appreciate this relationship that we have here. And I don't want us to go on for another months or years with this thing between us. I want us to be able to address, address it candidly, transparently, so we can heal this relationship and move forward stronger and better together. And so there are a lot of different things that we have in our restorative toolkit. But really, from a business standpoint, it's about making sure that those inter, interpersonal kind of cultural challenges don't stop our work and our progress. And you can see this, I mean, it's really, when I talk to corporate clients, right, it's really about that bottom line for folks. Everybody has somebody at work that they had beef with three years ago and y'all still can't work together. And yeah. it's like, how does that hurt the work? What if you could yeah. get down, maybe you don't need to go through an HR process, you don't need to do all that, but you just wanna say, you know what, when you said that thing at that meeting, this is how it impacted me. And it's made it so that I don't trust you or that I am reluctant to come to you for this thing. And it's stopping the work. I have to go to two, three people around you to get this done. And we're less efficient in our work. And so you can see it from corporations, but you can really see it in the social justice movement in space, right? If we're not able to work together, we're really impacting people's lives. Um, so that's just, a, I, you know, I'm giving you a lot of background there, um, but it's going so much deeper than training. It's going so much deeper than policy and it's getting to our work as, as people and as communities, right? And it's also helping us call each other in, call each other forward and be able to move forward better, right? And, and once you receive that call in from somebody who cares about you and is in relationship and community with you and doesn't want this to be punitive, they just want this to be better. You're able to say, thank you. Thank you for that. I didn't, I had no idea that the, what I said landed with you that way. And I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you like that. I don't want you to be feeling that I'm X, Y, Z. Thank you. I can correct my behavior and move forward. And thank you for trusting me to give me that feedback. It's just, it's, it's, I don't know. And it's been pretty transformative, you know, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, Shannon, it's been pretty transformative. I think so too. So, but it's, it's something that that's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough muscle to build, but it's important. Mm, That's brilliant. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for sharing your bright light with us. Like your radiance is remarkable. And I, I'm just so appreciative of you. It makes me, I actually have comfort knowing that you're in the world. Oh, thank you so very much. I feel the same way about you. Thank you so much for using this platform to get this message out and bring more folks along in this journey. ROD takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. First tip, listen to Amber's TED Talk. The link is in the show notes. 
She shares the importance of lifting and climbing. It's an important message. Of the many essential things that Amber shared, here are two that we can put into practice immediately. Number one, clean your house. Ways that you can work on cleaning your personal house will lead to how you will be able to clean your professional house. The work starts with each of us. The discomfort of learning the vast amounts of information and truth that you realize you don't already know can be overwhelming and scary. And I've heard people say, it's too much. The change is too much. The ask is too much. The uncertainty is too much. You know what else is too much? The pain, exclusion, phobia, fear, aggression, backlash, all of it for people of marginalized communities. In order to see real change, we all need to feel uncomfortable. Clean your own house and intentionally prepare your organization to make it genuinely inclusive to stop that revolving door. Number two, remediate your mistakes. Amber reminded us we're going to get it wrong. We're going to make mistakes. We will unintentionally mess up, hurt others, and get it wrong. So we have to own those mistakes humbly and sincerely, apologize, and promise to be better. Number one, clean your house. Number two, fix your mistakes. Thank you for being loyal listeners of ROG. After the Pride series, ROG is taking a summer break. I'll be taking time off to recharge and refresh the podcast and take a break from social media too. We will return on August 30th with a recap of the first half of 2022 and update on what's ahead for the duration of the year. We'll have restored energy and focus on generous leadership. Please join us next week for our final Pride Series episode with Jan Sigmund, the CFO of Cognizant. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.